0: Welcome to Unexpressed, where we put words to the inexpressible. My name is David White, and I'm the publisher at Whitefire. Over the years, I've had the privilege and opportunity to work with some really amazing people, very talented authors mostly, who have a unique view of the world. Our focus has been on the things that are important and challenging, viewed through the lens of storytelling. Our readers and our listeners are a part of that process. So if you're like us, and you're looking for a podcast that would challenge you, and encourage you to challenge yourself you've come to the right place. Today we'll be starting our series on what makes good stories that are worth reading with Rosanna White. Over the course of the next six episodes, we're going to be discussing all sorts of topics, including fact and fiction, truth and lies, addressing good and evil in stories, empathy, characters, writing and reading as a community, and the spiritual elements in storytelling. We think you'll really enjoy this series, so let's jump right in with fact and fiction. All right, so everybody always wants to put truth into their stories seems to be a refrain you hear a lot. So how do you separate fact and fiction and truth?
1: I think that's always a really good question especially when dealing with fiction which is kind of by definition not true and yet I think fiction has the potential to have great truth in it perhaps even more truth than something that's quote unquote factual.
0: Yeah, I think that to call it to call fiction opposed to fact is sort of wrong and for sure It might be, I don't know, like fiction is neither unfactual or untruthful, right? It's simply, like, maybe we should start with what's a working definition of fiction?
1: Right. I think fiction is, it's a story that has not necessarily played out exactly as written in the world, but that could. Um, So even if it's, you know, in a genre like fantasy or science fiction, there's still something true about it because it's dealing with human nature. I think a story, any story at its heart is going to be dealing with humanity. And humanity has truths that go way beyond, you know, a particular set of circumstances.
0: Or a particular set of facts, maybe?
1: Yeah, well, and that's the funny thing with facts, right? Is that you can take a a set of facts, you can hand it to different people, and it's going to mean entirely different things to them.
0: Right, like we've talked about this with, with things like statistics that people say... You hear a lot, facts don't lie. (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, uh, we joke, you know, fact schmacks, you can prove anything that's even remotely true with facts. That's right. (laughs) So, but, but statistics are a weird place where people always want to go and say, see, this is how things happen. This particular set of facts, how do you, or this particular set of statistics, like, how do you know it's true? How do you normalize it? How was the, how was the data taken? How was it collected? Who collected it? What was their purpose? You know, and then once you know how it's collected and assembled, how is it presented? Right. right? Like, what What did they – did they cherry pick their results? Did they publish the whole thing? Did they show you where their assumptions and hypothesis were wrong?
1: Right.
0: Facts sometimes do at least have an agenda, if not lie outright.
1: Absolutely. Well, and it, and that's something that writers have to learn how to deal with. even Even when you're doing research – um, as a historical fiction writer, I can tell you that you're going to find historical sources that are supposedly fact that contradict each other and that, you know, they present what they want to present. So the, the books generally have their own bias, right? So some are really going to make it seem one way and others are really going to make it seem another way. And they're all dealing with the same facts, but they're always going to be interpreted through a human lens, so, try as you might to be unbiased in the presentation of facts. You can't be.
0: Yeah, so how do you know which ones to trust? or does it does it matter which facts and which experts you trust?
1: I mean, I think it does matter a bit, but as as a fiction writer, it matters insofar as I'm trying to tell a story. So, you know, I have I have my own truths I'm trying to to espouse that I'm trying to present in my fiction. And so I'm going to choose the facts that, you know, help me out most or that make sense in in the context of my story. I mean, frankly, there's usually so many statistics, so many facts that you can't include them all. I mean, that that would just bog the story down and be ridiculous. But there's also in fiction the idea of the probable. Um, It doesn't have to be the most likely thing in the world. It just has to be believable. It has to make sense. Well,
0: and isn't that how we all act and and treat things, right? Is this thing that happened one time, even if it's highly unlikely, becomes the truth.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's something that's come up in some other conversations we've had lately, where, you know, in terms of is a neighborhood safe or not? Well, there may have been a mugging but it may have been one. <laughs> right. But that's going to become, you know, well, what happens in that neighborhood.
0: When we were freshmen in college, there were, what, two or three, like, muggings on the corner of the college in a very, very short period of time. Yeah. And it made you wonder for a brief second, wait, is this very, very high-end neighborhood in, you know, the capital of Maryland and Annapolis a safe place or an unsafe place to be? Well, those three muggings, I don't remember many more after that.
1: No, and they all took place at like 2 a.m. You know, someone out alone, and I mean it was just it was a sort of thing where you're like, Well, y- you presented an opportunity.
0: <laughs> well, but, <laughs> but it's a particular narrative at that point, yeah, right? Like
1: Yeah, like you could have you could have written a story about the crime ridden streets of, of yeah. Annapolis, but that wouldn't that would that would be the tiniest slice.
0: Yeah, and even and I think that that goes for an awful lot of other things right like I, I don't know we've we've talked about this kind of thing independent of of the podcast before but people look at you like you're a little bit crazy when you want to do certain things right because they mm-hmm. think that well that's dangerous right you know it's like skydiving sure sometimes there are accidents very very rarely because I don't think I've ever heard of them but but you talk you think about skydiving accidents as, maybe a plot because you look at it and you go well that's certainly possible
1: yeah and interesting the abnormal is interesting so that's what people tend to talk about whether it's in in a novel or even in reality you're not going to tell people about the humdrum you're going to tell them about the weird thing that happened or the exceptional thing that happened
0: or you're going to talk about the humdrum if that humdrum is exceptional now I'm thinking about our college experience in Annapolis where the weird thing was the fact that McDonald's was closed by seven o'clock every night.
1: <laughs> yeah. Six on Sundays.
0: But but that but that's only interesting because it's unusual. Right. Like the McDonald's being closed is not an interesting fact in and of itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it does provide an example if you're trying to tell a story about Annapolis and the way Annapolis as a commercial community works because it, it's unlike most other cities because it does shut down. Like every everything just shuts down. Right, at that, so that time.
0: one odd fact colors it.
1: Right. And it's, it provides an example. Um, so you can't really walk somebody down the streets and show them, look, that store's closed and that store's closed and that store's closed. All you need to say is the McDonald's closes at 7. And people go, whoa, wow, that is one sleepy city.
0: Well, and we had that experience uh, on a trip to England, right, where they said make sure you get, you know, your food for the weekend um, by what was it, five o'clock? It was a Sunday afternoon because the main grocery store, like our equivalent of Walmart, yeah, closes. Super
1: at, Walmart closes at six p.m. or five p.m. or whatever it is on Sundays.
0: Yeah, so like, but that was something that we'd never experienced. So. That, that colors, okay, this is sort of the community that you're in. Right. So sometimes you do have to pick the facts that sort of lie. Not that they lie. Like the rest of the time, you know, Sainsbury's is open. Right. All, all the, the time. time. Um, you know, McDonald's being closed in Annapolis tells, you know, I guess that's not as much a lie. But like it's, it's a unique fact that, that tells you a bigger truth about something.
1: Right.
0: So how, how, do you, how do you pick those as an author to, to plop them down? And which ones do you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's a matter of which ones serve your story. And what story are you trying to tell? Because, I mean, looking at the silly little McDonald's example again, you can take that fact. The McDonald's in Annapolis closes at 7 p.m. I could use that to tell a story about McDonald's, which probably wouldn't be true. Because most McDonald's do not close at 7 p.m., Or I can use it to tell a story about Annapolis, which is true, that most commercial establishments in Annapolis close down early. So you can take that same fact and decide what story to apply it to, and that changes the fact almost. Like whether it's an exception or a rule, and how it relates to the story. So I think as a storyteller, what you really learn to do is take the pieces that will best reveal the truth in your story. So it may be plucking something unlikely out of history, but using it to show a greater truth.
0: Right, like wars get written a lot about in stories.
1: Right, built in tension.
0: (laughs) But they're relatively rare on the scale that we like to talk about them.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Right. Like, you know, you might again you might look at statistics right now and say, Well, there's a war that's been going on, you know, we've had wars across the planet somewhere going on constantly for a hundred years. But that's not what we're talking about.
1: It's not a world war. Right. Yeah. Well, it's not
0: like, oh, there's a conflict in, you know, uh, you know, the nation of Georgia between separatists and, you know, the Russian government. Right. right? Like the there's, you know, a war going on in the Ukraine. But I can still travel to the Ukraine. Right. I can still vacation there.
1: Right. Like, that's not. Right. The stories we usually tell are the ones about total war, where it involves everybody in a nation, whether they're home or serving actively, that sort of thing.
0: Right. The, the unusual.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They were exceptional in history, which, what, which is what makes them a really interesting backdrop for a story.
0: Another silly example might be, I think some people would argue that France and England were at war for like 400 years.
1: (laughs) I think they kind of were. They were at odds anyway.
0: But when you write about it, you write about like four things.
1: Yeah. You write about the battles. You write about the big intrigue. You write about, yeah.
0: Right. You're not like, on Thursday, you know, the English sent a nasty letter to the French (laughs) or I don't know, who knows what, what happened. So the the important question, I think, or maybe not an, an important question to all this is, when you realize that you use facts to tell stories, and maybe you use them in a particular way, so you combine two sets of facts that might even be opposing to each other in a certain way to tell a certain story. Mm-hmm. You know, the McDonald's in Annapolis thing for a minute. Right. I, I guess it's not exactly – there is a city in Annapolis and there is a McDonald's and – this this colors it. But in other cases where there are different statistics that get used, or different, you know, facts that get used to 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 tell a certain story, like how do people use that in their real life? Like, is it possible to go, I'm reading this and I realize that there are facts and that there are statistics, there are these things happening. And I've learned that the unusual Becomes the story. So mm-hmm. if someone else is trying to tell me a story, like how do you read the news, right, or <laughs> or watch the news? Some people just choose not to, but I think that it's really important to be able to look at it and ask the question: What story are they trying to tell me?
1: Yeah, I think that's really important because uh, I, I'm always uh, attuned to where fiction gets a bad rap, and one of the things is, you know, people will say, "Well, it's it's made up. It's not true. It's it's not factual." When they don't seem to pause to realize that their nonfiction, their news, does the exact same thing. These people are trying to tell you a story because story is what interests us, right? Most of us, with with a few exceptions, most of us don't just study charts and data. There are those who do, and they interpret it for the rest of us. But most people don't consume raw data. They consume the story that's told with it. So knowing what story the news is trying to tell you... I mean, they even call them news stories, obviously, right? Um, Or knowing what story the, the, the history is trying to tell you, knowing what story whatever presenter is trying to present to you is going to give you a better idea of how to, almost how to focus your lens upon it. You know, do you look at it and go, okay, they're telling me a story of, one exceptional thing that is definitely not the norm or is it that they've chosen one that really well represents a huge majority?
0: Yeah. So I I think then I, I wonder, like, there's some things that when it comes to news, I'm not always quite sure what they're trying to do. Are they trying to inform us? Are they trying to influence us? But when you go back to things like books Books are trying to generally trying to convince you of something. If you're in nonfiction, they're trying. Even in fiction, they're trying to convince you that these characters are real and interesting. So, what is it that you know? Like, again, I'll say, nonfiction is trying to convince you to believe something or to take an action or that Mm -hmm. something's important or something is true. Absolutely. So, what is what story is what is fiction trying to accomplish with its story? And don't just say entertain.
1: Well, I wouldn't. As an author I can tell you that when people, you know, send me interviews, most of them are written these days, one of the most common questions is what's the takeaway from your book. So, I mean, whether you're writing something light and entertaining or whether you're writing something literary, people are still going to ask you what's the takeaway of your book? What's the theme? And that is something that every author learns to have an answer to really quickly. Even if we don't know it when we sit down to write, it usually come or often comes out in the story in the writing. Well, it's by probably time,
0: best not to come at it with a, <laughs> right. a, a well, preconceived mind. So, sometimes
1: we have an idea of of what story we're trying to tell from the get go. Well, let, let's
0: come back to that in a minute. But go ahead and finish what, yeah. you, what story you're trying to tell.
1: But so by the time we finish writing a book and have edited it and have really, you know, we we pull these things out in the editing process. We know what it is our characters have learned, the journey they've been on, and that usually is part of the theme. that is part of the takeaway. I mean, maybe it's it's something as simple as God loves you um, in the Christian fiction space, or maybe it's something a lot more complicated like you know, our worth should not be tied up in our you know jobs es- or jobs or estates or our family name or our history. Um, And sometimes it's it's even really subtle that, you know, a character has believed a lie about themselves for all their life and they have to learn how to embrace who God sees them as. And that's a truth, you know, that maybe maybe this character is made up, but that's they're on a journey that a lot of people are on. And that's what makes them resonate as characters, that people see bits of themselves in them. They see a greater truth. And they, they understand that. They understand that through these fictional characters, just like through the parables Jesus told, a greater story is being illustrated. A truth about God's nature and God's love for us is being illustrated.
0: Yeah. I mean, in that case, I've always asked, does it matter if the parables are true?
1: No, I don't think so. They could be true. They could be stories he tells. And I don't think it makes a difference because the point is people can identify with it.
0: Right, so is that what we would call a universal truth, or is that something different?
1: Is which the universal truth? That
0: thing that we can identify with. Oh, yeah. I would, the thing separate of fact.
1: Yes, I would call that definitely a universal truth. Yeah. Not to be confused with facts. Well, not to be comu-
0: confused with facts. So there's, a, there's this tendency right now in all sorts of places for people want, wanting to tell quote-unquote true stories. Yeah. And I think this irritates most fiction writers I know.
1: It irritates a lot of writers, fiction and nonfiction. Um, I I know a lot of authors and a lot no. of the, yeah, right. And a lot of the authors I know have written both. They've written nonfiction and fiction, and they are the first ones to say my fiction has more truth in it than my nonfiction most of the time. Because in nonfiction, because it is true, you have to change things to protect people because you don't want libel suits. So,
0: and even if you were able to leave all the facts in as it is.
1: There's too many. They bog it down.
0: Well, and even then, like you have to you still have to tell a story, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're writing from the point of view of you're a biographer of a person. Um, and it's say an authorized biography. Even if you're leaving in all the facts, you still have to tell the story in such a way as not to make that person look a monster. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, and to make it interesting, because nobody cares what I had for breakfast today, but that's a fact, you know.
0: But even even then, like, you might still be able to tell a universal truth, or you might just be lying at a certain point using all the same facts. Yeah. Like, is there such a thing as a universal lie, where something seems really, really true? It it looks like a
1: deception.
0: Yeah, it looks like a truth, but it's.
1: I think it's deceptive I think there probably is and I think because if tr- if if universal truths had nothing to be in contrast to
0: or yeah. or they're simply like truths that are the deceptive because yeah. of the way they're presented like if you used facts to illustrate illustrate a truth that isn't the right truth I guess would be the, the best way to put it like I have so I had a uh, conversation with someone not too long ago. And it, this goes back to the question of the parables. And I've said sometimes uh, not entirely, at least partially tongue in cheek. Like sometimes I think Jesus is lying to us, right? Like sometimes I think he's not telling when he tells a parable or, you know, tells a, a story. You know, he's talking to the woman at the well, right? Like he tells the truth, but he starts it in such a way that makes you think, He's not interested in her. He, you know, draw me some water and get out of here, you know that kind of thing. And but that's not what his intentions are, right? So like, right
1: the the Samaritan woman who's asking for th- that's healing... that's a better example. Or, you know, yeah, I think it was healing for her child or something. Yeah, and healing he says, for child. You know, should I give the the children's food to the dogs? Well, that sounds really insulting, right? Yeah, to, to our Western ears today. So you could say the truth is that Jesus was insulting the Samaritan woman. But we, we who believe we understand a bit about Jesus's nature say, well, that can't be right. So what could it be?
0: Right. And one of the things that the person I was talking to said, sometimes our translations are just so lousy that there's <laughs> double meanings in some of these yeah. Hebrew and Greek words, Aramaic in some cases, words that you're just not going to get, depending right. on what language he may have been speaking. And that gets handed down to us in Greek.
1: Right. So it's been translated how many times by the time it gets to us?
0: Right, Well, at least once, because, you know, if he's talking to a Samaritan, who knows what language he's speaking? I don't know. I don't know what Samaritan spoke, whether it was Aramaic, Hebrew or Greek, but he could very well have been speaking any one of those three. Right. So, you know, what word did he choose there? What, you know, multiple meanings did some of these things have? I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry, but sometimes you get to looking at it and you realize... You know, it's not necessarily that Jesus was lying. He may have been occasionally testing to see right. what you would claim and what you wouldn't claim, right? Like, how far will you go? That seems to be one of his themes sometimes, too, right? Is I mean, yeah. that's sort of off the topic of fact and fiction, but...
1: I don't think so, because I think it gets to the fact that Jesus was more concerned with motivation than with fact. Um, much like Jesus was more concerned with the heart than the law. Yeah. Um, when one is right, the others fall into line. But I think that actually goes really well into this of it's not a matter of naming the facts. It's a matter of the motivation, the story.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. You know, what do you or you say you're, we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem? Like, those were facts that she was naming right. in the one case.
1: And he just said, yeah, who cares about that? Right. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I'm still interested in this idea of like a universal deception, but I'm not sure it's a true thing. But it's something to, to ponder on. Yeah. If anyone listening has any idea about what a universal deception might look like, I'd love to hear hear your thoughts on it. Maybe we'll come back to that later in another in another thing. Because, you know, for our, our next talk, we're going to be talking about the place of good and evil and, you know, bad guys in stories. So yeah. Maybe we'll get into that there. Maybe we won't. Yeah, Hard to say.
1: Pondering the deception thing for a moment here while, while you were talking. Um, I think I think one thing that would be a universal deception is when our individual truths, like little t truths. Um, the Annapolis
0: cla- in, on Sunday truth.
1: Sure. Clashes with a capital T truth. So I'm even more thinking... From my perspective, from everybody's perspective, I am the most important thing in the world. I need to take care of myself. This is is a truth for everybody, right? We need to take care of ourselves because no one else is going to do it for us. But that is in direct contradiction to a universal truth where God says we should love other people first. We should love him first. God should be first, then us so, my God, truth, than
0: others than us, even right, potentially, right? So, but yeah, but because we're in our own head, right? We have to be the first thing we think about because you know it's it's Descartes, right? I think. <laughs> yes. You start with "I think,"
1: but how often do the like the the big deceptions we we have all heard of, both in the Bible and throughout history, and even in our own lives? How often do they start with turning the focus so fully on ourselves that we're ignoring? God, we're ignoring what he's telling us, we're ignoring the people we should be uh, sacrificing for. I think that I think that, that may be at the root of a lot of deceptions that, um, you know, our attention turns from where it should be back to ourselves. I don't know if that's a universal deception, but...
0: I think that might be the universal deception, right? Like, that's where phrases like pride goes before a fall yeah. come from. Like, what is pride but looking at yourself first at least at its core but but that even really goes to the the point that facts are not universal i mean i know that sounds weird but like it is a fact that we are in our own head yes but we perceive all things through that lens yeah and what's really interesting is that the idea of loving God, loving other people, comes from at least from a recognition that there is God and there are other people that is something that we maybe can't perceive as facts. I mean, okay, you can perceive that there are other people, but there's no reason you should think about caring about them.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I mean,
0: isn't that what the world teaches, right? Like, you you get yours, you know, me first.
1: <laughs> it, it definitely is.
0: Because if you don't, you die. And that's sort of also a universal principle, right? Like, we are purpose-built, it seems, I guess. Purpose-built might sound sound wrong, but to look after our own needs, right? Like, when you're hungry, it becomes an all-consuming thing to want to eat. When you're right. thirsty, it's an all-consuming thing to want to drink. Like That's just how we're made. It's not like, well, you know, you have a little timer that goes off that says, all right, now it's time to eat. Oh, I've got to go eat again like it's, it's just it's it's a fact you have to eat
1: how often do we see the examples in the world where it fails like these are these are the stories we hear most often fairness
0: right? and justice failing
1: yeah that instead of justice we're seeing injustice instead of fairness we're seeing bias and we're seeing prejudice and I mean, this is just throughout history, right? You you hear more stories about these things breaking down than you do about the triumphs. The, I can't speak, but the triumphs of the justice system or people deciding to do something fair and just on their own. It well aren't happens. the triumphs
0: of the justice system like that should just be the norm? It should be. So when it isn't, and something spectacular happens then that is when we tell
1: that's when a particular we make a movie story about, about
0: it <laughs> but you know uh, a person you know getting fined for a speeding ticket that right. it, that's it not doesn't interesting rate. No. doesn't rate
1: yeah but, but so, a person
0: you know going to prison because they were pulled over for a tail light and then a chain of events happened that is inju- unjust just a you know as right. a silly example you yeah. make an offhanded comment about Sherman and Georgia.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, I think what, what it comes down to is we all experience fairness and justice, unfairness and injustice in our daily lives, right? We We know what this is. But finding a true story that doesn't have a lot of contradictions to it or things that detract from it or... Um, well, you know, this this is wrong, sure, but then we learned this other thing about this person, so I'm not sure if I should root for them or not now. I mean, life is messy, so...
0: And you don't always know, actually, what was behind <laughs> things.
1: Do you ever know? See, that's where fiction comes in, because you get to control the, the the backstory. You get to control the facts. We know everything we need to know about these characters, so it's a chance to show... Justice and fairness at play. Uh, so you you put them on a the backdrop that we recognize, namely this fallen world where things go wrong and people aren't good. and and then you you showcase what can happen yeah. when justice moves.
0: And this is something I think we'll talk about more in a couple of weeks when we talk about um, like deep POV writing and why that's so important. But if you just see the surface of people and you don't understand their motivations and why they struggle with their human nature, which is you know by nature selfish, and you know, I was gonna say, and some people would call it say fallen, depraved, all sorts of things like that, but you can you can definitely defend selfish. <laughs> so there, there's always this battle that goes on even inside yourself of am I have I gotten what I deserve? Yeah. And, you know, and then you run into things like shame and self-doubt and all of these sort of internal things that we're all very, very used to, um, used to experiencing, I guess I should say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, it's so important that we learn, we really learn how to look at these big topics through a lens in which we can see multiple sides of a person Simply because normally we only have our, our own perceptions, right? We can be told facts and then we may be, be, we may be told other facts. So how do we judge? And I'm thinking of this especially in light of historical figures who have been held up as heroes. And then mores change, the culture changes. Suddenly we realize, well, they had this bad thing in their life. So what do we do about that? Do we tear them down entirely? Do we throw away every contribution they made to our society? Or, you know, do we try to balance this out with, well, yes, they they did this thing that I think was wrong, but they also did this thing that I think was right. And we have to learn how to do that because but I don't then, know about but you, but it, I have some things that, you know, aren't perfect too.
0: But then doesn't it matter that not that we know facts about people, but we know how to tell their story.
1: Exactly. That's why I think fiction is so important. Well, in, the quest in, in for that truth. case, it's
0: not just fiction, though, right? Like you take a important historical figure, you know, a, a Churchill or a Washington or a Stalin to to run a gamut. Like they all had good and bad, sure, in their lives. So their motivations and why they did the good and why they uh, embraced the evil or why they struggled with the evil becomes how you choose to tell that story says all you need to say about them. Yeah. But I I think you said something important before, which is when you're talking about real people, there's a lot invested in it. Right. You know, uh, a historical figure might mean a lot to... To certain groups of people. Yeah. Like they have something emotionally invested in this person. We've talked about that with... Um,
1: Churchill. Churchill. <laughs> yeah. Right?
0: Like, if you get it wrong, people will know.
1: Yes. And they will hate you forever.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. You don't get Churchill wrong. Right. So, sometimes it may be best simply to leave him out of it.
1: Yeah. Because how can you ever get someone totally right? It's just... It's it's impossible. We don't know everything about their lives. We don't know everything that went on in their heads. Even if they told you, that didn't mean they were being truthful.
0: And even if they told you all the facts, that doesn't mean you know them either.
1: No. Well, and it doesn't mean you know the person. Like, I can recite the facts of my life to someone. That does not mean they know me at all.
0: And quite a few people, particularly complex people don't always know their own reason for doing things. Like, yeah. this, this has been pointed out in in marketing circles forever, is if you ask someone why they bought a product, they're going to lie to you. Not because they want to deceive you, but because they simply don't know the answer. You know, why did you buy that, you know, that particular brand of soap? Well, no one wants to admit that they were influenced by advertisement. advertising. <laughs> the but, you know,
1: jingle was stuck in my head.
0: Yeah, the jingle was stuck in my head. I walked by the aisle And, you know, you know.
1: It had pretty packaging. Stuck on
0: Band-Aid brand. Yep. So why do I buy a Band-Aid brand instead of the generic? Because. Because
1: I'm stuck on Band-Aid brand. Because Band-Aid's stuck on me. (laughs)
0: Exactly. (laughs) And I I think, you know, like even people haven't even thought it through that much. Right. They just do what they do.
1: Right. They would just say because they're better.
0: And, yeah. And if. That's how we make decisions about stupid purchases of Band-Aids or, you know, uh, laundry detergent. How much more so do we lie about our reasons for – and not just lie, but, like, not honestly know yeah. our reasons for doing things?
1: Well, and even our preferences. Like, you know, we've done things where we asked a group of readers, what sort of books do you like? What What draws you to the genre? And they will answer with very typical expected answers – And yet then when you go and ask them what their favorite books are, those favorite books do not match what they said they like at all sometimes. Sometimes they are, you know, wild exceptions to what they quote as their rules. So why is it?
0: I mean, maybe go ahead and give a a, a particular example there.
1: A particular example? I mean, a lot of Christian fiction readers will say they want, you know, sweet stories that you know uphold their christian faith that don't have questionable content yeah, in them you know, clean that are reads. good yeah clean reads that are escapism and then they quote as one of their favorite books francine rivers redeeming love which is none of those things other than you know very edifying it's it's it has incredible spiritual truths in it but it is not easy or clean or non greedy you know it's it's all these things that defy what they say they want
0: Thanks for joining us today as we talked about fact, fiction, truth, and lies in the first episode in our series on what makes good stories that are worth reading. Join us next week when we discuss addressing good and evil in storytelling. This podcast is sponsored by Read at Whitefire. There you can read the first two chapters of any Whitefire Publishing Group company's books. And if you like what you read, they're available for purchase in print format as well as electronic formats for all the most popular e-readers. Some books even have signed copies available. And if you're a listener of this podcast, there's a chance you're a good candidate for Platy People, our membership program for unique readers. For just $5 a month or $50 a year, Platy People members get to choose two free books per month, a free novella, 15% off all purchases, including gift certificates, and free shipping to U.S. addresses. Why choose ordinary when you can read extraordinary? Unexpressed is part of the Whitefire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv slash podcast to find other shows we know you're going to love.